Thank you, Allie. Good morning, Bethany Greenlake. My name is Scott, and I am a senior pastor, Bethany. And as such, I get to be here on a monthly or every six week time frame. It's uh, a joy to be here, especially this week as we kick off this Invitational Wholeness series. And I do believe that God's going to uh, have a word for everyone in the room today, everyone online today, uh, to encounter your story, your journey with the next step, an invitation to respond to. And towards that end, let's pray and we can begin. So Jesus, thank you so much for this morning of worship. We're grateful, God. We would ask that you would meet us again, as you always do, that you always promise to fill your people up. And God, we want to hear you. We want to experience you. We want to be moved into deeper intimacy with you. And all God's people said, amen. So uh, our sermon title today is called You Are Invited. You Are Invited. And uh, as we mentioned, we're kicking off the Invitation to Wholeness series. It's one of our strategic priorities that we'd be building an invitation for all of us to grow as followers of Jesus in the season ahead. It is a special day. We've been working really hard on this series as the pastors and directors and leaders of the church. And so today is just the invitation, the invitation to begin this seven-week series. Invitations, even as casual as Seattle is, invitations are still a really big deal. Invitations open doors, invitations create new stories, invitations create new pathways. Invitations can change your life if it's the right invitation, right? There was an invitation uh, I put out in college uh, with my now uh, wife. Uh, today is our 23rd wedding anniversary, and you might be thinking... Shouldn't you be with her? We, were, we went on vacation last weekend. It's a long story, but uh, invitations can change your life. I, I invited her on a, on a date, a first date. It was a double date, which some of that context can be important for the story because uh, I was very nervous. And I said, hey, we would like to go out with you. We're talking on the telephone. And she said, that sounds fun. Out of my nervousness, I said, you bet it sounds fun. In fact, I guarantee... I'm inviting you to a top three date of your entire life. And as soon as the words came out, you know that act of like putting words back in your mouth that sometimes you want to do? She's like, all right, I'll see you Saturday night. So my buddy and I, we took uh, Heather and one of her friends and we went to dinner, we went bowling, and then we blindfolded them. We put them in the back of my van. We drove outside of town and we took them to a waterfall and there was champagne and dessert. We took the blindfold off. I was like, oh, it's a waterfall. Now, the world has changed in 23 years. No blindfolds, no vans, all right? And if you drive a van, we can talk afterwards. But I think there's just some certain ground rules, like from here forward, no blindfolds, especially on first date. But we want to be about your growth in Christ in the season ahead. And every one of you has received a, a significant invitation at some point. Maybe it was to a sports team as a kid or a theater troupe. Maybe in college, it was to study with a certain professor or an internship or, you know, to live with a group of people that was going to be a transformational experience. Or maybe it's in now in a professional setting or a relational setting or a faith setting. Like all of us can think back of how the arc of our life has been altered by significant invitations in the same way. The invitation to wholeness, like, I'm not so vain to think this sermon series is going to change your life, but Christ wants to encounter us in new and powerful ways, like full stop. It's been a really rough couple of years. And much the same way our church has been kind of a marker down to say, like, we want to be a church 
moving into racial justice and we talk about it, we have values and programming in, in, in totally different ways, but in equal significance, we want to be a church that's raising disciples that know what it is to move into wholeness with following Jesus. And, and we are going to spend the next seven weeks unpacking ways that we want to be investing in you so that you can be moving into deeper and deeper intimacy with Jesus in the season ahead. And we believe there's good news for your relationships, for your practices, for your habits, for how you're moved to justice or service, for how you do life together. And we're going to you know, spend a lot of time in the year ahead talking about, but this series is meant to kind of embark this experiential movement that God would touch us again in such a way that our lives would be altered by significant invitation. And I'll ask you this question as we get going. How is it in your heart? How is it in your heart right now? Are you living in a place of fullness and abundance and intimacy with God and others and things are vibrant? I pray it is. And I also want you to know that you are a bit of an outlier right now. Because even this morning, as we've been kicking off this series, I keep praying with people that say, I'm reading about wholeness, but I'm not experiencing it. And then they tell me their story and we've prayed. So the normative experience for so many right now, more brokenness than wholeness. But in this series, we're going to be talking about, and really today, I want to I kind of launch three kind of emphases as we get into the day, that we're going to look at what Paul says from Ephesians 1, that to really move into this wholeness, we're going to need to develop new eyes of faith, new way of seeing. The second thing we're going to develop today is that we're going to be on these transformation stories. We've got to name our brokenness and then invite Christ to move us to wholeness. And finally, I believe, and we all do as your pastors and directors of this church, that as we live into this invitation together, that God will move us as a community into new experiences that can drive our unity, that can realign us by the only distinctive that actually makes us special in the world. And that's who we say Jesus is and how we love each other well. And we know it's hard to believe right now. I, I, my sixth grade daughter recently said, belief is hard right now. We're sitting around the table having like a minute of a discipleship moment. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to go deep in faith. I'm like, well, tell me more. She's like, I don't even hardly believe in George Washington anymore. And I'm like, what? Her little brother's like, what? And she's just like, she explained, it made sense. She's like, no, we read these things, but the things that I really know are things that I've experienced. See, we can examine the person of Christ and we can say that things are true, but how goes it in our hearts? Are we responding to the divine invitation to be people moving on a trajectory towards wholeness and fullness tapped into the power that lives within us as God's people. There's a good news message for you, the people of God today. Will you receive it? There's an invitation. Let's kick off the sermon uh, with this you know, invitation. You're invited to see Jesus in new ways. If we want a new experience with Christ, we're going to need to develop, Paul says, new eyes, new ways of looking. The old ways aren't working anymore. And I keep hearing from people that are Christ followers say, the old ways aren't working anymore. So what Paul says is that we need to see in such a way that transcends the eyes of our flesh and instead look in what he says are the eyes of the heart. It's really the only way, it's the only place that Paul uses that specific phrase, the eyes of the heart here in Ephesians 1. I pick up in verse 17 of Ephesians 1. I keep asking, says Paul, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, 
would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We're meant to know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Where are they located? In his holy people. That's you. That's staggering. Every clause from Ephesians 1 is a, is a treasure. And the Bible is really clear about that, that for those who seek Jesus in new and profound ways, there are gifts of wisdom and revelation that the Lord bestows upon those who seek new intimacy, new fullness by the life of the spirit within us. And it's quite amazing, but Paul says this gift that you long for, this trajectory moving from people experiencing more broken than wholeness into this transformational journey, Paul says that treasure exists where? Already within you. So may you, says Paul, be Christians who know Christ better. Not checking the box for some great aunt Sylvia or somebody's like, measure of affection. No, but because the father loves you, may we be on journeys of transformation. May we know Jesus better. May this year be better than last year in our intimacy with God. And Paul is writing this to a church in Ephesus, a real place in Asia Minor. Paul loves these people. He had planted this church in an early missionary journey. Then he had come back and lived in Ephesus for multiple years, teaching disciples, raising people that know what it meant to be responding to an invitation to wholeness. And history tells us that these were people under great conflict in Ephesus. There was external conflict coming from the forces of paganism and imperialism as the Roman emperor was you know, bearing down on him. But almost more dangerous was internal conflict, internal conflict to the church in Ephesus. In Acts, it says that the people in Ephesus, Paul warns, or sorry, Luke warns in Acts, that there were wolves moving among them from within, devouring what? Devouring their faith. How? Dissolving their unity. About what? About the one thing that really matters about us, who God says we are and how we fellowship with one another. Remember what Jesus said, the great command is this, love God and love others. And so there's this warning to the church in Ephesus. Listen, there's external conflicts, there's internal conflicts, but if you want a new intimacy with this Jesus, you need to develop new ways of looking. How? With the eyes of the heart. The eyes of the heart. And every one of us loves to see because we have this you know, moniker of seeing is believing. How do we know if the Mariners won last night? We open up our ESPN app and, oh, they lost. Bummer, you know. Or we want to, you know, see people we love. So we, we see them on social media or we schedule a coffee and try to see people. We want to both see and be seen. The power of seeing is, is transformational. But what Paul says here is that the old ways of seeing won't work anymore when you're hungering for more of the spirit within you. And faith is more than just what we see with our eyes. Paul would say that to the church in Corinth. He says, while we look not at things which are seen with the eyes of your flesh, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal and fading away, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so having the eyes of the heart, being church, a church that is pursuing Jesus with the eyes of the heart, say that we understand there are things we see with our flesh that we're going to have a deeper faith that transcends that which we can't see with our eyes because what we see with our eyes is the world is constantly breaking down and hope feels very far. But from the eyes of the heart, we say, God, do a new work here. And that was that question I asked you earlier. How goes it with your heart? Is it 
seeing God in new ways? Are you pressing into a deeper intimacy in this season? I want to invite you if you're like, no, not really, Scott. Well, good news. You're not alone because most of the Christian church, both across America, across the city, across our six locations is struggling right now with some level of disengagement with the, with the father. And so we're in a very disorientating time. We've got to be invited back to a wholeness that comes from one place. And that's the inheritance of the riches of Christ already placed within you. One of my favorite shows is Gold Rush because it's mindless and silly and guys in the Northwest Territories or Alaska just going for gold each week. And I love the simplicity of it because a lot of times my work doesn't feel very simple. But I love what Paul's saying here of like, hey, be gold miners to the riches that already exist within you. And if you do that work, Paul promises, there's a goodness that will impact your relationships and your habits and your pursuit of justice, all of these things that we're going to be unpacking in, in the season ahead. To do it, we're going to have to look in new ways. There's this incredible story in 2 Kings about opening up the eyes of faith. It was the time of Elisha in 2 Kings. It was a time of conflict. It was a time of battles and wars. And that's always encouraging to me because things feel hard right now, but it's like, no, things have often been hard for the people of God. And in 2 Kings 6, the Arameans were attacking and Elisha the prophet was there with his servant. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. I want to pause there. There's something about the morning and the battle of the day ahead that if you're like me, we're prone to anxiety. There's so much to do today. So many battles in the work or in the family. There's a, there's a constant fear that's this warring with this peace of the spirit. And so the servant wakes up and it's morning and he sees the forces of the Aramean surrounding him. And so the servant says, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asks. Elisha says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's incredible. And to know that Jesus is constantly praying on our behalf, open their eyes, Father, open their eyes so that they can see they're not alone. They can see the help and the support that I'm ready to lend their hands, that they're not alone in the journey. So we've got to be a church pressing into this, responding to invitation, asking God to give us not just the eyes of the flesh, but eyes of the heart to know Jesus better. And I know it's been difficult to see God working with everything we've been through, but in this season ahead, in this sermon series, we're pressing in to know God better. I mentioned today is my 23rd wedding anniversary, and I can explain to you the nature of 23 years of relationship, about how we met, about we lived in LA, we came to Seattle, how I came to be on the stage today. It's very unlikely. I can tell you about the highs and lows of childbirth and loss and grief, and I can explain to you the woman that to me is now my wife and what makes her incredible, the way that she looks on compassion to people in our home, out of our home, the woman of justice and truth-telling. But I really need to just meet her. 
because to experience somebody is to know them. And for many of us, our encounters with God have gotten just a tad bit ethereal. We know some things with our head. And Jesus is asking us this morning, how goes it with your heart? Will, will you make me, says Jesus, your first love again? I want to awaken and stir you that you wouldn't just examine me, you would experience me. So first things first, this invitation to see Jesus in new ways, we need to develop the eyes of the heart. The second thing I want to talk about is that we are invited, you're invited to embody transformation from brokenness to wholeness. You're invited to take this journey. We'll be talking about this over the season ahead, but this is the disciples pathway, moving in the transform life to, to live into the power that Ephesians 1 says is already within us. Like we have this promise of power, but then if you're like me, there's often, you see powerlessness and it's like, where's the gap? Well, there's a, there's a journey to take. And yes, we get the full gift set of the, of the disciple, uh, uh, sorry, of the father's love for us when we say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to move into this transformational journey to experience more and more of God's wholeness for us, the people of God. Wholeness, the dictionary says, is, is the quality of being complete or a single unit, not broken or divided into parts. That's what wholeness is. So we're invited to that as followers of God. And we say as a church, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's not be broken. Let's be whole. Let's not be incomplete. Let's preach Christ. And as a church, we just kind of scream from the rooftops, like wholeness is found in Christ. But the problem for so many, and I'm, it's just been you know, reaffirmed even this morning, is that so many, even once they've made their commitment to Christ and say, yes, wholeness, please, I'll take a, a full serving of that. What we experience in the day-to-day -day is lacking wholeness. We see this in our families of origin. We see it oftentimes in vocational distance. We see it sometimes as a gap of like trying to pursue God, but seeing a bit of a, 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 of a distance there. So we have the, the promise of wholeness, but we have an experience oftentimes of brokenness. And unfortunately, what the church did in some eras was to say, ignore brokenness or that brokenness is just out there. I mean, literally in the last service, there was a car crash and it's like, like during the service, like it happened right there. It's a hit and run. Everyone's okay. But like, what, an, what a metaphor. Like there's car crashes all around. And so historically at times when the church was at its worst was to say, but not in here. Here we're whole, we're perfect. Like we kind of like white, you know, whitewash, he says, like whitewash tombs. But the journey of the disciple is not to ignore the brokenness, but to invite Jesus into the broken pieces in order that we would be made whole. This is difficult work. I don't like this work by nature. It's much easier to preach it than to live it. It's much easier to be like, you know what you should do? You in the back. You should like, just like lean into your brokenness and go towards wholeness. But my nature sometimes when I'm faced with brokenness is defensiveness of frustration, narcissism at times. Like who likes to face your brokenness? It's painful. But what I'm slowly learning in the season that unless we do this deep work, we're inviting Jesus into the most broken aspects of ourselves, then we're just kidding ourselves and we're aiming at our own version of wholeness. Note the disciples' wholeness comes from the power of the gospel that resides in us, not ignoring brokenness, but saying, Jesus, would you transform me? And we know what it is to be broken. Like we see that collectively, we see it individually. 
collectively, we open the paper every morning, we look at the news on our phone, there's a war in Europe. And today is the first day of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so we just know that so many people of Asian descent have been through great discriminations. I'm reading this book right now, Facing the Mountain by Daniel James Brown, Pacific Northwest author, about the Japanese internment camps during World War II, where these heroes were over fighting, Japanese Americans fighting on behalf of a nation that was locking their fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers up in internment camps during the war. Painful part of our own history. And the rise of violence against Asian Americans right now, it's, we say in Jesus' name, no. Like collectively, we see it out there, brokenness. And we see it also in, in here. Like we've experienced so much individual brokenness over the last year in mental health crises and struggling relationships and just being cut off from God and others. So we know it to be true. And we say, well, what do we do that we would experience more of this wholeness together? We, we live into what Paul says there is that incomparably great power for all who are in faith. And we name it as a hope. We declare it as a wish and we press into it that we want to take this transformation journey. We know that things are broken, but Jesus, by your power, would you move us as your people individually and collectively into seasons of wholeness? We want God to make us whole again, to restore our worship again, to engage our hearts again. There's this really beautiful verse that Ali read, I'm going to read it in just a member, in just a minute, but where Jesus invites people who are not perfect to him, not fully filled up, not worthy. No, Jesus invites those who are thirsty and who are weary. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened and broken, I'll add. And then Jesus says, I'll give you rest or I'll move you to wholeness. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, and I will be gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And this is the gospel, but somehow many of us have been convinced that when we're weary or when we're burdened or when we're broken, Jesus doesn't have time for us, or it just feels like too big of a gap to move in on this transformation journey. But the invitation to wholeness says when we're broken is when we're precisely ready for Christ to remake us and refill us. I'm reading this great book right now by William Kent Kruger called This Tender Land, a novelist from the Midwest who deals with a lot of themes about God and wrote one of my famous, uh, favorite books of fiction called Ordinary Grace. His new book is called This Tender Land about four orphans who the narrator, the protagonist, really struggles with the belief in God because he's suffered such brokenness in the world. And on their journey from the, you know, in the story, I won't ruin it for you, but he, he runs into this faith healer, this woman named Eva. And she explains, I think what I'm trying to make a point of, of moving towards wholeness. She says this about brokenness. She says, if we were perfect, the light God shines on us would just bounce right off. But the wrinkles, they catch the light. And the cracks, that's how the light gets inside us. The cracks, the things that feel broken about us are where God's love gets through to us. And in this way, church, I really think there's an opportunity that our difficulties can become 
launching places for deeper intimacy with God. We become more and more hungry. And so may this season of disconnection and brokenness as a church and as a culture, may this this be the launching off of a new intimacy, a new hope, a new fullness. I'm reading this other great book with our lead pastors and our counselor right now called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro. And he talks a bit about this journey. He says, loss cuts something out of us, much as a gardener cuts back a plant for greater fruit. God does something in us through the fire of sorrow that enlarges our capacity to wait and surrender to his will. This breaking detaches and empties us so he can fill us with his life. And then out of union with Jesus, he can fill us with a new and extraordinary capacity for fruitfulness. To be whole, to be fruitful, comes in our capacity to lean into the brokenness of our own story and ask Jesus to make us new again. And, and just by illustration, this, and I know that some of you have heard this or seen this before, but as I prayed about what to share with you as an illustration of this point of moving in the transformation journey from broken to wholeness, I use this illustration here, first day of AAPI month, the Japanese art form of kintsugi, which is the Japanese art form of taking pots that have been fired and perfect and blemish-free, breaking them and remaking them with a golden lacquer. And as these broken things are put back together by this golden lacquer, and the Japanese artist has been doing it for hundreds of years called kintsugi, it's such a powerful metaphor. Because what happens with these pots is in the eyes of the art world, the dealers and the artists, they become much more valuable with the restored cracks. They become much more valuable than the unblemished original pots. And for people of Christ, we have been given the life of Christ within us. It is Christ's spirit within us that is the golden lacquer. It is Christ's blood, which has remade us, that takes our brokenness and reshapes us, that no, by ourselves, we're not anything special, but there is a wholeness for those of us in faith. There is a power to those who believe. There's an inheritance. We're formed by Jesus. He is the golden lacquer. Without him, brokenness, trying to press into my own sense of where wholeness will lie. With Christ, hungering for more and more of that transformation journey. Whole disciples made so by my brokenness, not running from it, but naming Jesus the Lord of my story, him holding me together. Incredible, right? Incredible. So that's where I want to end us here, this third point, that to experience this kind of transformation journey will actually make us a new community, that we'll have a unity by Christ that gives us, an, it gives us a witness to the world. And frankly, the church has taken the bait. So we're all kind of fighting and, you know, it's our view on mass or politics or sexuality or gender that now we hold against each other. But there's a new community for the people of God who take this journey of wholeness together. It's very incredible. A new community that if you're like me, we're so desperate for, we're so desperate for. So what Paul says here at the end of Ephesians 1 is there is an intimacy for the church as we take this journey together. Paul says that God placed all things under his feet and pointed Christ to be the head over everything. For what? For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Yeah, if you're a tattoo person, everything in every way can go on your forearm or your forehead for all I can. I mean, what a beautiful declaration. Everything filled by the power of God in every way. Everything in every way through the church. 
that's crazy talk. That might be one of the hardest things to believe in Ephesians 1. Because the church, we've really struggled to live with the new power. But Jesus says, as you pursue me together, as you respond to this invitation to wholeness, everything filled in every way. And there's a new relationship that forms people seeking Jesus together. Together. Wholeness together. I sat around a table last night as the sun went down with different people from my community. And we're reading this book called Life Together by Ruth Haley Barton. And it's all about spiritual intimacy that happens on the journey together. She writes, with good attention, desire deepens into intentionality, which can then be lived out in the decisions we make every day. And that's a good definition for discipleship. The decisions we make every day out of a desire for Christ. But then she continues, and that's where transforming community comes in. We get in touch with our truest longings and desires. We need a community that can listen to our desire and support us in the choosing practices and life rhythms that are congruent with what we say we want. Intimacy with God, deepening levels of transformation in God's presence, soul friendship and connection with others, and the freedom and courage to offer the gifts of an authentic self to the world. Man, I want that for all of you. Your authentic self to the world, deepening in who the Father says you are and that you wouldn't be alone on the journey. That's the transforming community. And that's where our witness comes in. And that's where our hope comes in. I'll just close with a story that I think is so emblematic of the kind of church that I see when I look into Bethany. I see a church that loves God and loves each other. And I know it's been really hard. We've got a journey to take friends. We would pursue God and find intimacy with other believers on the journey. And there was a political prisoner. His name was Thomas Pettipiece, a Methodist pastor, a bit of a man of mystery in this illustration. Some say he was in prison during the Catholic Protestant wars in Ireland about a hundred years ago. And Pettipiece talks about a, a communion of empty hands is what this is has come to be called a communion of empty hands where it was Easter Sunday in the prison camp with 10,000 people and Petipis went to serve communion, but he had no bread and he had no wine. And for a moment he thought his brokenness or the stuff he didn't have would keep him from worshiping Jesus in new ways. And Petipis writes about the experience of leading communion from this posture of emptiness and the intimacy that Christ longed to fill his people. I read now from Thomas Pettipiece. He says, this meal, this communion in which we take part here Easter Sunday in the prison camp, it reminds us of the prison, the torture, the death, and final victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bread, which they didn't even have, is the body which he gave for humanity. The fact that we have none represents very well the lack of bread and the hunger of many millions of human beings. The wine, which we don't have today, he writes, is his blood. And represents our dream of united humanity, of a just society without difference of race or class. Pedipes held out his empty hand. I held out my empty hand to the person on my right and placed it over his empty hand. And the same with the others. Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Their eyes scanned the horizon for, for the guards. Afterward, all of us raised our hands to our mouths, receiving the body of Christ in silence. Take, drink, this is the blood of Christ, which was shed to seal the new covenant of God with men. Let us give thanks, sure that Christ is here with us, strengthening us. And they, they drank from the invisible cup. 
We gave thanks to God and finally stood up and we held each other. And a while later, a non-Christian prisoner said to me, you people have something special, which I would like to have, a communion of empty hands. Another man said, Pastor, this was a real experience. I believe today I've discovered what faith is. Now I believe that I'm on the road. This retelling of the communion of empty hands is meant to be an encouragement. That when we are empty, we are so close to God's wholeness. And I believe that we've come through a season of great struggle and emptiness. And God is setting us as his people, setting a table before us. The wholeness that I long for you, this journey of the heart, being people of transformation, moving into a new community. It's life-changing for the world around you. We're going to close with worship here in just a moment, but. I talked earlier about the church in Ephesus. I call Graham and Eric up. We're going to do a little response thing. But you hear from the church in Ephesus throughout the book of Ephesians. You also hear about it in Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, John, the writer, has a judgment against the church in Ephesus. He says, you, you kept the faith. You did the work. You tried hard. You contended. All those things. But then he has this warning. He says, you lost your first love. In all the working and the struggling and the religion, you somehow departed this posture of the heart, being people of the heart, being people transformed by the Spirit of God to have a new experience in their heart. And I believe that God has a special word for you, the people of God today. He's been saying it to me over and over again over these last couple months. Tell them about my heart, Scott. Tell them that I want them to feel me again. Tell them that there is hope in their hearts when they seek me and seek one another. And this is hope in your relationships. And this is hope in your inner thought life. And this is hope in your faith life. How goes it with your heart, friends? God is calling us back. He's calling you back. He's calling you back. Don't depart from your first love. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for just a moment to think about how it is in our heart. God, we know it's been difficult for so many of us, but we pray, God, that this would be a turning point, that there would be a restoration and a transformation as we seek more and more of your wholeness here. God, would you make this series a great encouragement in this church that we would reawaken and find you again? And all God's people said, amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing, but I'd love you, if you haven't already, open your red envelope and there's a thing in there saying response card. That's the only thing I need you to look at right now. You pull out the response card. Every week, there's going to be a question to consider and then just an opportunity for a next step. We don't want you busy, but we do want you encountering the power of God in your life. So the question for you to consider today is how is God inviting you to wholeness? This is your question to consider. And please, I'd love you to just jot this down in the card. How is God inviting me, you, to wholeness? And then the line below that says, my next step is blank. And I want you to name one thing this month that you'll say yes to. And if you need a little cheat sheet, you can flip it over because there are lots of opportunities at Bethany Green Lake to just take a step in the season ahead. Someone once said, Bethany's always saying, take a next step. I don't know where to go. Here's where to go towards wholeness.
So where is God inviting you to wholeness in the season ahead? What is one thing this month you'll say yes to? Before you get back on the bus or back into your car, we want to give you a moment to fill this card out. So go ahead here and, and write your answers, and then we'll close with our final song.